Thank you for listening to the podcast of Dublin Bible Church. So this year, our everyday hero, it's kind of an interesting interesting way that, that I kind of landed on who the everyday hero is for this year. I, I prayed and prayed and prayed, and, and I know who the person is. You'll find out later, but I prayed and prayed and prayed, and I said, Lord, what is the, the biblical example, the best and closest biblical example of, of who, who the everyday hero is this year? Like, who is that scripturally? So I prayed about it. And you know, when you actually start looking, when you start looking at the book, there's a lot of things to choose from, right? So I, I prayed and I said, God, this is, this is a task so much bigger than myself, so show me from your word. And, and the scripture that I landed upon, honestly, is one of my favorite, favorite people in all of the Bible. And it, it, it's a gentleman by the name of Jonathan. So it's the interaction of David and Jonathan. And if there is a, an example in the scriptures that best fits what a godly friendship looks like, I would have to say it's that one. Because you look at the nature of the relationship, as what we'll see, and, and we'll jump into in the text in just a moment, but you look at the very nature and really the, the substance of their relationship is so much bigger than what anything of the world and what the world can provide. Their relationship is so much deeper and it's so much more compelling. And I think if we were to lean into this text this morning, it's not just about the everyday hero. Ultimately, it's about how the Word of God can show us how to have and maintain better friendships. But in the course of, their, of the friendship that you see with David and Jonathan, you'll see some, some things that we'll try and draw out. And those qualities are perfect qualities for this year's everyday hero. Perfect qualities. So as we're jumping into 1 Samuel chapter 18, let me kind of give you a little bit of the context of this. We're kind of jumping right into a story, but what happened right before this is David killed Goliath. So, so David uh, was just, you know, he, he in and of himself, he had killed Goliath, and somewhere in the text right before this, God had, had appointed him and kind of called him out, and he had all of his brothers kind of line up, and, and Samuel went up, and he was picking out the perfect one, the anointed one, the one who was going to, who really was going to lead the nation of Israel, and he turned out to be a great king and a great warrior, a, a great just uh, servant in, in some senses of, uh, of the matter, but but. David comes into the mix, and he's chosen in the most unique way. Samuel goes before his father, goes before David's father, and, and, and he says, yeah, let me see your sons. So they, they line up, and they come before him, and Samuel's like, nope, uh, nope, uh, nope. And he gets all the way to the end of the list, or what, uh, the end of the list who's there. And Samuel says, don't you have another son? And he says, oh, yeah, 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 I do. My, my youngest son, his name's David. He's actually tending the flock right now because that's what David did. So David was called out of a place of, 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 of obscurity, easy for me to say, of obscurity, and he was called and appointed, and he was anointed by God to ultimately leave the nation, lead the nation. But he was just tending the flock, and then Samuel, he realizes, God seals it by his spirit, and he seals it, and he knows that David is the one who who will lead 
So fresh off of that, fresh off the, uh, of, the, of the battle with Goliath, when, when Saul, who was the king of the day, when, when Saul, with his army, they, they stood before Goliath and the Philistines, and, and, and Goliath is just mocking them, and, and Saul was chosen because he was taller than everyone else. So it would only make sense that the giant of one people group would fight against the giant of the other people group. That isn't how it happened, though, is it? Yet instead, the armies are standing facing each other, and Goliath, for, for a time, is coming out, and he's just teasing and mocking the army. And he says, who's going to come out and fight me? And he knew, or he believed, that no one would come. So King Saul, although he was taller than everyone else, and it looked like it, he would be powerful enough to maybe fight Goliath, he showed to be a coward. And he stepped back in the ranks, and he did not take the lead in that. So none of the army would fight but David. And we know that, that it, was, it was a miracle of God that uh, David threw the, or he, he flung the stone, it hit Goliath, it killed him. David won the day, and David became a hero of the faith, and he really became a hero of our faith, really beginning on that day. Because he showed a level and a trust in God at that time that no one else did. So now David is gaining in notoriety, but, but the whole army, get this, get this, the whole army sees what's happening with Saul, and they saw that Saul was like, no, no, I don't want no part of that. He washed his hands of Goliath, but then he saw David go up, such a courageous man of faith, and he went up before, the, went up before Goliath, and he says, I'll be the one, and I'll do it. You see, the, they would remember this. They would remember this, and from that moment, David started to increase in popularity with the people, and Saul started to decrease, and he started to drift farther and farther and farther away from God. Our text, chapter 18, verse 1. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. We'll get to this in a moment. And he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Verse 4, Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and he gave it to David along with his tunic, even his sword and his bow and his belt. Stop. You see, Saul may have been a coward, but he was no fool. Saul was a coward and he would not fight Goliath, but what he did do was, he says, wow, David is gaining in notoriety, so what I'll do is, I'll just bring David into my, into, into my inner circle. So he does. But what he doesn't expect is there's just this connection that is made with David and Jonathan. And I have to tell you this, the reason why Jonathan specifically, Jonathan was drawn to David is because he saw the, the man of God that he really was. He saw that in that moment when everybody else was a coward, that David went forth. And I have to tell you, this is the way it goes with a man. Ladies, I can't speak for you, but the way of a man. When a man sees another man who does something and he just stands up either for their family, for their kids, for their wife, or just stands up for what is right, that is compelling for other men to follow. That is compelling. And that's exactly what happens in this situation with David. He stands up. He's gaining in notoriety. And Jonathan also saw his dad. His dad. Jonathan was to be the heir to the throne. He was to be the heir to the throne. And yet in that moment, they were brought together and they were one in spirit. You see, if you are friends with someone else, 
if you're a follower of Jesus and you're friends with someone else, you are one in spirit. You're one in spirit. And that connection, that connection is, is something that actually I believe that is supposed to benefit us in all of our friendships and really in all of our relationships. Because as the gospel in, invades the dark places of your mind and your heart, and as it bubbles up and it churns in you things that God wants to reprove in you and He wants to sanctify you and set you apart, many times that happens in the context of relationship. And the closest relationships you're going to have is with your wife or husband, or with, with a friend. With a friend. And yet, so many times, when we go through a hardship, in our friendship, it really defines if we're friends or not. Let me bring out an example. I had someone who I called friend. I called this person best friend for 25 or so years. 25 or so years. And we grew up together. We did a lot of things together. When I got a car before him, so we would ride around together. That's what we did in my hometown. We didn't have an anti-cruising ordinance. That's actually all you did. And we just drove around and burned the ozone layer. That's all we did. And we worked to put gas in our car to eat the ozone. So apparently I'm the problem at all that. And so that's just what we did. So he would always ride with me and we'd, we'd crank the tunes and we were, we, I thought in that moment, neither one of us were followers of Jesus at that point, but I thought, man, we are friends. This is as good as it gets. I mean, we had laughed together. We had cried together as, as high schoolers. We had laughed and cried together. We went to boot camp together. We were in the same company in boot camp together. Many times, we would, you would think about this right now. Stop right there. You would think to yourself, wow, this is like a dream come true. Like both of you go in the service at the same time. You kind of grew up together. You were friends. You hung out. You made memories. Ran from the police. You know, did stuff like that. Just keeping it real. You know, did our thing. And now we go, you go into boot camp together, and you think, man, this is like a dream come true. As a matter of fact, when we were in boot camp... His, his rack, and that's a Navy term, his, his rack was catty-corner to mine in the same long hallway. It was in the same, it was, it was like this long hall, hallway, and his rack was catty-corner to mine. You would think, man, that is a miracle. That's just amazing. Like, obviously, that, that just doesn't happen. That just, that is not, we didn't set it up. We didn't go to the recruiter and be like, hey, I'll go in if you make this happen. It just didn't work that way. It just fell together. And yet we go into the Navy, into boot camp, and we make it through boot camp. We walk and march the same day. Uh, I'd love to show you me in uniform, but I get embarrassed enough, so I won't. And, and both of us, and it was, it was a high mark day in our lives, of course, getting out of that experience. He went his way, I went mine. His, his enlistment time was shorter than mine. He went in and got out and went to college. I went in, stayed a little bit longer, went to college. We reunited after that. He received Christ in college. I received Christ when I was in the Navy. We get connected together. Now we're back in our hometown. We think, man, we're just gonna we're gonna take all these memories, all these things. Now we were just so good of friends, and I thought, how good can this possibly get? And yet, fast forward a couple years, he went through some struggles with his in his marriage. He he went through some hardships. Whose house did he come to? Mine. He landed on at my kitchen table. 
very emotional. We were, it was emotional for all of us. And yet, fast forward a few years later, he's having some issues in his marriage. Having some issues. We're, we're brothers in Christ. I should be able to call him and say, dude, hey, uh, I want you to see what I'm seeing because this isn't working. Like, wh- what are you doing in your relationship? You see, it came to that, that was the place of testing in our relationship to see if we actually had a friendship or not. Because he wouldn't take my reproof at all. As a matter of fact, he's divorced. His oldest child's 11. Special needs child. The youngest one is a special needs child. Mother's caring for the kids. And he's out of the picture, and he won't answer my phone calls. See, I lived much of my life, and I thought, man, I mean, this is my, this is my boy. We, we hang out. This, we, we rode together. We, we got chased together. We did all these things together, got in a lot of trouble together. We were there when we needed each other. But yet, you see, the thing that, that should have bonded us together is the Spirit of God. It should have brought, brought us together. And if the gospel is flowing in me and it's flowing in Him, it should have been. It should have allowed us to kind of reprove one another and challenge one another to say, hey, are you seeing what I'm seeing? But you see, that never happened. He wouldn't allow it to happen. So now I sit back and I say, you know what? That friendship was a lie. And I was deceived for 20 years. Five years. What about your relationships? What about your relationships? Do you have someone that, that you look at you look at, at David and Jonathan? It says they were one in spirit. They were one in spirit. Do you have someone, Christian, if you're not a Christian, you can kind of pick and choose whatever you want to believe or whatever you want to do. I believe that if you become a follower of Jesus, your life will get better instantly. I believe it. I've seen it too many times to think that that's not true. I know that that's true. But if you're a Christian, how many people do you have in your life who who you have given permission that they can challenge you? Do you have anyone Do you have someone that you can trust at a certain level who knows you inside and out and who would be able to look at your life and say, hey, I don't think you're in the Word today. You see, if we're one in spirit, if you're one in the Holy Spirit, and if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we we are one in spirit. You should have people, start with one, but you should have people in your life, your community group, your small group, your, your, your recovery group, whatever group that you're affiliated with, you should have people in your midst who are close enough to you that they would know a single day that if just interacting with them, they would know a single day when you're not in the Word. When I look at when I look at the at the book of Acts and I next week just a little segue we're getting back in our uh, in our study through uh, the book of Acts we're going to do the Collide series for three weeks I cannot wait to get into it and you're going to see this uh, starting next week for the next few weeks after that but one of the things that I see in 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 the book of Acts is I see that the, the, the believers were so close they were closer to other believers than than they were actually close to their own family. That's amazing to me. And there was this, this closeness, the, 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 the koinonia, the fellowship that they had, was just allowing people just to invade their personal space. 
It was just like they were so close that they, were, they cared more about being like Jesus than they cared about their own feelings and affections. They cared more about how is God's, how is, is the gospel of Jesus Christ flourishing in me? Is it flourishing today? Because they wanted that to flourish so much that they invited the, everybody. They were all invited in, in the same place. And they shared not just Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, or times in between. They shared every day. And I realize in our context, we have lives. And I'm not saying, well, we're going to have church every day now. I'm not saying that, okay? Because if not, I'll just pick somebody. You're going to be preaching on Monday. you got Tuesday. I mean, that, we're not going to do that. But you should have a connection with the people in this room and the folks who are not here today. You should have a connection with, with people within this fellowship who know you inside and out, who can challenge you. And if you're not in the Word, they should see it. That is countercultural, and you don't get there by accident. But if you are one in spirit, and the gospel is flowing into your life and invading the dark places of your mind and your heart, we should invite those people in. Because we should care more about being like Jesus than our own feelings and affections. Period. The friendship was first, it was based on their commitment to God, each of them their commitment to God. I, and I said this, but I think Jonathan was drawn to David because he saw he was such a huge man of faith, and he was like, I don't think he was wanting to piggyback on his like, coattails and be like, wow, I'm going to get behind this guy because he looks like he's, he's going to be the guy. No, I think for him, he, was just, he, was just, he realized that, that David was on fire for the Lord, and he says, wow, I can follow that kind of leader, even in the midst of, it, of that that he saw his dad was not that kind of leader. They never let anything come between them. With David and Jonathan, they never let anything come between them. Oh my goodness, they were tested over and over and over again. First Samuel, the, the chapters previous to this, their, their relationships, and, and after this, the relationship is tested over and over and over again. It's tested by Saul, because Saul goes on a rampage to actually try and kill David. Talk about tension. So your dad is wanting to kill your best friend, and you're the one who's in between. Think about that. Feel that. How difficult that had to have been. And yet in the midst of that, Jonathan first honored the Lord, and, and he honestly honored both relationships. Even in that tension. And it was tested there was family issues. There was career issues. Now understand this. It, in, it says there in chapter 4 that what did Jonathan give to David? Look at, again at your Bibles, please. Chapter, or not chapter 4, verse 4, chapter 18. Jonathan took off his robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic, even his sword, his bow, and his belt. This is all of his military garb. It says back in chapter 13 that there were only two swords in, with the nation of Israel, I don't. There may have been more than two swords at this point. There were only two swords. There was Jonathan's and Saul's sword. Just a few chapters before this one. This, and I'm not saying this this with absolute certainty, but just really kind of looking at it, and it could possibly be there may have only been two swords within the whole nation of Israel, and Jonathan gives his up. So he didn't let the family issues get in the way. 
And he, he didn't even let the career issues get in the way because Jonathan was, in essence, giving all of the royal garb to David. He was that giving, self-sacrificing, that forward. And yet we know that Jonathan wasn't a coward. I mean, he was a great warrior for God. Great warrior for God. That's originally the reason why I was drawn to him. It's just like, wow, he's, he's really not in a whole lot of scriptures. He's in like in this, this section. It's incredible. You see the interaction with Saul and David. You see he was a great man of God. He actually went up and he fought like a, a whole group of, of people within like a half acre space. Just him and his armor bearer and he tore him up. I mean, that's amazing to me. It's amazing to me. So it's not like he's a coward and he's saying, you know, he, he went up there sheepishly and just like handed his sword away. I mean, he was a warrior in his own right, but he knew that that sword would be, would be better wielded in David's hand than his own hand. And he wanted to be giving of himself. That giving. He, he gave him all, and it was such a big deal in, in that culture, and it's such a, a lost thing in ours. When you would actually give up all the things that you see in verse 4, his sword, his bow, his belt, and his tunic, when, if you would receive those from royalty or heir to royalty, that was the highest honor that you could possibly get in their culture. The highest honor. So whatever it is that you think would be a big deal from the president, this is more. Because it made its way into the Bible. That's more. How compelling is that? And yet Jonathan wasn't about himself. He was about putting the Lord first. And he knew that and he, he respected the fact that David was the anointed of God. And he says, I want to equip this person with everything they are going to need to do what it is that God wants him to do. And a basis of friendship for you and I, we have to do the same thing. And the interaction has to be the same way friend to friend. We should challenge each other enough because we love them and we want them to be more like Jesus. Not that, that we want them just to like us and, wow, we're going to be friends forever and all of that. But we want them, a true friend, a true friend in Christ wants them to look like Jesus. And they will even risk that relationship to speak grace-filled truth. They'll even leverage that relationship to speak grace-filled truth. After their loyalty was tested, their relationship actually even got closer. A lot of people, and actually I, I was doing some studies for this and just kind of looking at this and the word about like friendship and just kind of Googled it. You know, there's like five billion things out there. I didn't get to the end of Google. Um, I looked and I just, I wore me out before I could get to the end of Google, but, but I kind of stopped at this point and, and it said it, the, the worldly answer to friendship was don't have your friendships tested. And I was like, what? I'm like, you don't even know if you have a friendship unless it's tested. I, I lived that. The moment it was tested, it failed and it proved that it really wasn't that close of friendship if there was one at all. And yet, their relationship with, with David and Jonathan, when their relationship, their faith was tested, their friendship persevered because they were one in spirit. Because they were one in spirit. And they remained close even up to the time of Jonathan's death. 1 Samuel 
20, verse 42 says this. 1 Samuel 20, verse 42. Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left and Jonathan went back to the town. This would be the last time that they would see each other. That would be the last time. Their relationship was built on a covenant, not just between themselves, not just, hey, well, I've got this and you've got this, and it, it was deeper than that. The Lord, they had made covenant, and when you make a covenant, it's, it's you invite God into the mix. Now, even in, in, the, in the, a marriage covenant, think about it in this way, and, and I say this when I do my marriage vows and when I go through premarital counseling, when you're vowing to be married to someone, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're making a covenant with God saying, God is going to be the center of this marriage. That's the reason why it's so important not to be unequally yoked. That's why it's so important. Because it would be this constant tug, constant tug to pull you away from God's best for you. But if you make a covenant with God, and He is at the center of a marriage or a friendship, and that's what you see here, God is the driving force between everything that's done, everything that's said. It's not your likes, it's not your, your dislikes, it's not what you want, it's not what they want. It's the Lord. That's exactly what you see with, uh, with David and Jonathan all the way up until the end of their life. Just uh, some remarks about this. There was an obvious favor with, with Jonathan and David, both of them. And we know it's well documented, David's failures with Bathsheba and he, the things that he had done wrong and really the kind of father he was ultimately because then you would see what Solomon does. And we, we talked about this over uh, the last couple weeks with uh, last week's message. Um, the person who wrote uh, Ecclesiastes and much of Proverbs was David's son. And he kind of chased all the world's things. We see what kind of father he was. We know the, the, the failure, the, just the moral failure that he had with Bathsheba. And yet, even in the midst of that, David had a very compelling relationship with God, even in the midst of all of his failures. Sure, he went through confession and repentance. I believe much more than even what the Scriptures show. But he had a favor. And I want that for you, and I want that for me. So I just want to share some scriptures and it, just a way to maybe gain favor in your own life. Mark 12, verse 30 says this, Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all of your strength. You want to be blessed by God? You want the favor of God on your life? Make this the focal point of your life. Don't make your marriage your focal point. Certainly don't make your kids the focal point. They make terrible gods. Because in about 18 years, they leave the house, and then it seems like all those little, those little gods that you've built up, small g, not big g, now they leave the house, and now you're left to find another god. Terrible. Kids make terrible gods. Husbands, wives, terrible gods. Because they all fail. And you fail. So you make a terrible God too. Just want to make it all clear for all of us, alright? But our goal should be this, to gain favor with God, to love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This seems so, so, so out of reach. And many times this, this scripture even becomes cliche for the Christian. Like we put this on a shirt and it doesn't mean anything. 
But just because this seems like it's, it's overwhelming, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't press into it. It just means that we're going to have to press into it for the rest of our lives. That's what that means. That means it isn't, you know, like one of Paul's writings, pray continuously. Well, what did he mean? Uh, let me think. Pray continually. You know exactly what he means. And yet we see in, in these kind of texts, we're like, love the Lord God with all your heart, all right, with all your soul, uh, with all your mind, okay, all your strength. Seems so far out of reach, and I believe that it is out of reach, and it only takes God's grace for us to lean into that day after day after day after day. But the more we chase after God, the more the favor of God chases us. And that's what I want, and that's what I, what I want, or rather, that's what I want for you, not just myself. Proverbs 3 Verses 3 through 4 says this, Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. So let love and faithfulness never leave you. Make those foundational to, to all of your relationships. God is faithful to redeem you, Christian. You fail. You're going to fail today. You failed yesterday. You're going to fail tomorrow. God's been faithful to redeem you and help you. His gospel's flourishing in you. Reciprocate that. Pour that out to the Lord, but do it in the way that it just shines around His people. And let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Be, be bound to them. Be enslaved to them. With them and just write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor with and a good name with God and man. Which ultimately isn't that what we want? Don't we want to have we want to have a great and growing relationship with God, but we also want to have a great and growing relationship with people, don't we? That's what I want. First John three. 16 through 18 says this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and see his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. With actions and in truth. Obviously, this is speaking of Jesus, that he laid down his life for us. And you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we're to be taking up our cross daily, surrendering our will to his will every day, helping him, uh, rather in, enabling the word of God to penetrate deeply in us, in our minds and our hearts, so the gospel can invade those dark places, so our relationships can get better, so we have favor with God. And we should seek after those things. That should be foundational to our walk and our life and all of our relationships. That just as Jesus laid down his life for us, now I'm not going to live for me anymore. I'm going to live for him. And the way that he says to do that, one of the ways, he says in 1 John 2.10, it says, whoever loves his brother lives in the light. So shining the light, being the light that others would be drawn to. And we should love one another. Well, some characteristics of Jonathan and David. We've talked about their courage. Our everyday hero has proven to have courage. 
We talked about them being a faithful friend. And I have to say that this individual, we've had many of, of this individual's friends kind of roll through these doors through the, the course of years. And just you see this, this person who's just so giving of themselves and you see it in the depth of their relationships. And I can tell you right now, if you were to be honest with me and I could be honest with you, I could look at, at your you, Christian, I could look at, at, and see the depth of your relationship with God by the way and depth of your relationship with other people. And our everyday hero just has friendship after friendship after friendship after friendship. People are drawn to our everyday hero. This person sees the best in people. And I love this, and I didn't really get a chance to kind of dig into into this through the text, but with 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 the the interplay with Saul and David and Jonathan being in the middle it's like this there was this always this little tension that that Jonathan lived in and he was always trying to be like pulled one direction or pulled the other direction and yet in the midst of that Jonathan amazingly and I believe it was just the grace of God over him Jonathan had the ability to see the best in both people and our everyday hero sees the best in everyone Never met a stranger. Jonathan was selfless. He took off the robe he was wearing. It says in 1 Samuel 18, 4. Took off the robe he was wearing. He gave it to David along with his tunic, even his sword, his bow, and his belt. He was selfless. Edwina is like Jonathan. And not because I say so, and not because she would want to be. As a matter of fact, it's been actually one of the best secrets that I've tried to keep over the last several weeks, to not let her know, and not to let any of you know, because then she might know. And then she wouldn't be here today. <laughs> Here's some things that, that I know about Edwina. She is a faithful friend. She is courageous. She puts God first. She has favor with others because she's favored by God. She is my and many of your everyday hero for 2015. Please give her a round of applause. Now, I might need a bodyguard after this because she's probably not going to be happy with me. So I need a volunteer. Here are some things that people said about you, Edwina, and these will be on the screen. They're all anonymous. First thing is this. I appreciate how cheerfully she greets the kids on Sunday mornings while helping them with their badges. It seems like no one notices when you have a ministry like that, but yet it is a frontline ministry, and many people go through that that little half door, and and many people pass through, and they pass through, and they see really the two people are sitting right next to each other because they are the the check-in agents right here. And, and they, they pass through there, and people have noticed. Another thing that uh, somebody else said, I appreciate the way she truly cares about individuals, making them feel welcome. She truly models the love of Jesus. Another thing that was said is she is encouraging to everyone. And yet another, from the first time in coming to DBC, she has always inspired me to have a better relationship with God. 
And the last one, and I know this to be true, someone said, I could talk to her about anything. I simply took your ballots, counted them against all the others. So Edwina, there was no favoritism here, all right? People have noticed. She is a great Jonathan. And I believe in, 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 there will be a day where we get to meet Jonathan. And when I'm in glory and I meet Jonathan and I, I'm able to talk about some of these things and kind of experiences he had and just say, wow, you, you're such a great testament to faith of all these things. I think even in the midst of, of all of that, I think he would not want any attention drawn into himself just as I know Edwina doesn't either. But I love you, and I had to. Blame these people. They voted for you. It's not my fault, but I believe it to be true. So we have a, just a, a short slideshow that I, I want to show, just some pictures we found on Facebook, nothing incriminating. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> Somebody get the door. She's about to run away. If we could show that. Well, Edwina, if I could have you come forward, I know you're upset, and you're upset with me. I love you. We love you. And on behalf of Dublin Bible Church, you are our everyday hero. And it's okay if you have misty eyes for the picture you're about to have taken right now. That's all right. Love you Thank you.